welcome to the Anchor Hill Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us. Today's series, The Wrong Christmas Story, Part 4, Grace. Well, around this time of year, a lot of uh, what we do at Christmas is centered around the mythology of Santa, right? I mean, we even had Santa here today, and, you know, there's an interesting thing that comes with Santa. I mean, everybody knows kind of the story of, of Santa, the legends of, legend of Santa and where it came from, right? We all know the songs and what the songs say, right? He, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been... So be good for goodness sake. Yeah, you guys all know it. See, right? I mean, we all know that story, right? That, that Santa has a list and he's checking it twice and he's trying to see who's naughty or who's nice. And if you're nice, what happens? You get Christmas, right? And if you're naughty, what do you get? Coal, right? You get coal. I mean, see, we all know this. We all grew up on this, right? And then in the last few years, Elf on the Shelf has become quite popular, right? Elf on the Shelf, yeah, some psycho parent invented that, right? And the Elf on the Shelf, you know, he's, he's, he's moving around your house, there's a little figure, and, you know, when I was growing up, we called that Chucky, is what we called that, but there's a little, a little Elf roaming around the house and moving, and he's reporting back to Santa Claus, you know, whether you're naughty or nice, so now Santa just didn't have the list, now he's sending spies into your home. And he's in your cookie jar, and he's in your toilet paper, and he's all over the place, right? And so, you know, we grew up on these legends, and we grew up on these stories about Santa and the elf and about the list. And if you think about it for just a moment, here, here's, what we, here's what we were taught, is that there is an omnipresent being that you can't see, that you can't touch, who's watching you. He didn't even have to be in the room, but he's watching you, and he's watching over you, and he's, he's, he's got a list, and he's putting you either on the nice list or the naughty list. And if you're nice, you get gifts. You get blessed. And if you're naughty, you get coal. You don't get gifts. You don't get Christmas, right? And it's very interesting. In my unique position as a pastor, here's how I've seen this play out. First of all, what I've seen is I've seen children who go home or go back to school after Christmas break, and they're looking around, and they're talking to all their friends, and they're finding out that Santa brought one kid a PlayStation 5, and he got, the other one got socks. And so little Timmy's looking at Jimmy going, you got a PlayStation 5? I got, you know, socks. That was it. I mean, man, you must have been way more nice than I was because I did not get that. I mean, I didn't think I was too bad. There must be something wrong with me because if you got a PlayStation 5 and I got socks, I really messed up. There's somewhere I went wrong. But what's so interesting to me is how this starts out as a child concept, but then even as adults, we grow up thinking the same thing about God. Then we grow up and we think that there's an omnipresent Father in heaven who sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake and he knows if you've been sinful or not, so don't be sinful for goodness sake. And if you're on the nice list, blessings get thrown down to you from the Father. But if you're naughty, spankings are on their way, right? I mean, some of you, you even grew up in a church like that. You went to a revival like that. You were told that by your parents. Well, forget Santa. Let's talk about God. 
You better watch out. You better be nice. You better be good. You better not wear jeans to church. Because I'm telling you, if you do, you're going to be on God's naughty list, right? You had better be good. And you know what is so funny? It's not that far from the truth. Because the Israelites thought the very same thing. Because that's what the Old Covenant was really based off of. That's what the Old Testament looked like. God was in heaven, and he would only present himself to certain people. You had to be on the mega nice list in order to be in the presence of God. And so the deal was is that if they were nice, God would throw blessings down to them. But if they were naughty, oh, you better look out because it was not going to go well. So the old covenant was based on if you wanted to get off of the naughty list, what you had to do is you had to make a sacrifice to God. That's how you were pardoned of your debt. That's how you were forgiven of your sins. You had to lay a sacrifice down on the altar. Blood had to be shed, and then that blessing, that sacrifice went up to God, and blessings started coming back down to you, and you were off the naughty list, and you were back on the nice list. So it's not that far from what we learn in the Old Covenant, but this is why it's very important, and this is why we talk about it so often, why you need to know the difference between your Old Testament and your New Testament, because we are a New Testament body of Christ. We are a New Testament church. But if you look at the Old Testament without the concept of the New Testament, you can get very lost, and a lot of churches still are. But what we have to understand is that the Israelites expected the same thing from Jesus. When they heard that a Savior, that a Messiah was on his way, they thought, well, this same concept is going to exist. There's a naughty and there's a nice list. And we need to make sure we're on the nice list. And this concept is that God gives people what they deserve. And that's exactly what they thought. They thought Jesus is coming to give people what they deserve. The good people are going to get blessings, and the naughty people, they're going to get cursed. Death is what they're looking at. And so I want to talk about how this concept was very, very, very far from the truth. Just as we've talked about this entire series, they got the Christ story, the Christmas story, completely wrong. They thought Jesus was coming to make them happy. They thought Jesus was coming to defeat their enemies. They had all these misconceived notions about Jesus. And every single one of them was wrong because what they found out is that Jesus didn't come to defeat their enemies. He came to forgive their enemies. He didn't come to make anyone happy. He came to give them life to live to the full. He didn't come to end the bad days. He came to help us persevere through the bad days. But this last concept was very important, and nobody truly understood it to the very end of the story. It was at the very end of the story that things started to change, where they found out that Jesus didn't come to give people what they deserve. He came to give them something different. And that all happened when he was arrested and crucified on the cross. See, what happened is, is Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, betrayed Jesus. And for the first time ever, Enemies came together, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin all came together. Even though they disagreed on everything, what they completely agreed on is that Jesus was dangerous. That Jesus was trying to get rid of the old, to introduce people to this new concept. And it was dangerous. It was dangerous to their power. It was dangerous to the control that they had. So for the first time ever, every, every enemy came together because the enemy of the, my enemy is my friend. And so they came together to be against Jesus. And we all know the story. 
Judas betrayed Jesus. He told them where he was. Soldiers of the Sanhedrin came and, and took Jesus, and he was put through a very unfair, unjust, unjust trial system, and then he was crucified. Crucifixion was a, a type of Roman capital punishment. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was meant to be humiliating so that everybody could see. It was public. It, it, it was debilitating. It was excruciating. And it was meant to scare people from ever thinking that they could get away with the same offense. And so when Jesus is taken and he's begun to be crucified, we have we have viewers, we have people that have been interviewed who, who saw it. The, the book of Luke, what you have to understand about Luke is that he was not an apostle or he was a disciple. He became a disciple later on, but he was a Gentile. But what Luke was very good at is he was very good at details. And so he actually, everything we get from Luke's gospel is very detail-oriented, but it's from people who were there that he interviewed. And most of Luke's gospel, we believe, came straight from Mary and what Mary saw, the mother of Jesus. And so when we look at the book of Luke and we get to the part of the crucifixion, what we are hearing is we are hearing what a mother endured and experienced as she watched her son be crucified, as she watched her son be tortured and go through the most gruesome, most horrific capital punishment that may have ever existed. And so when we get to Luke, we get these details. And in Luke 23, this is what Mary tells us. We get there and she says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. They came to the place called the Skull. They crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And then it says next, it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So just picture for a minute. Jesus is one of three men who have just gone through a trial. One of three men who, who the government has decided these men need to be crucified. They need to be put to death. But they need to be put to death in the darkest, most shameful way. And it needs to be public. Everybody needs to see it. We need to scare people to th off from thinking that this is ever okay. We need to scare people off from Christianity, from being a follower of Jesus. We need to put a stop to this right now. So you have Jesus in the middle and you have one person on the right and one person on the left. And we know that these people that are right next to Jesus, they are some of the worst of the worst. We have no clue what they did, but just whatever unimaginable, unforgiven crime you could ever think of, whatever that is, just think that these two men, they did some of it. They did all of it. These were bad, bad people. These guys were on the naughty list. Everybody is naughty list. And they had come to the end of their life. And so one of them, he turns to Jesus and he begins hurling insults at Jesus. And he says to them, aren't you the Messiah? Oh, go ahead and go back. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, clearly this man, whatever he's done, whatever kind of criminal he is, he's clearly a con man. Because he's trying to con Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus into saving him. He's poking the bear and he's going, hey man, I heard you were the Messiah. I heard you were the Jesus. I heard you were the Son of God. Well then, man, you ought to be able to save yourself. Well, come on, man, save yourself. What are you doing here? And hey, man, if you're going to save yourself, why don't you just go ahead and save us too? So this man, even on the cross, even in his last moments, he's trying so very hard to con somebody, to take advantage of somebody, to con Jesus into saving him. 
And so they're there, and they're hanging on this cross. They're hanging literally by spikes in their hands. They're bleeding out. It could possibly take days. And all of these people are watching. The apostles are watching. Mary's watching. Neighbors are watching. All of these people are looking on. And some of them are looking at the criminal on the left, just hoping that he suffers. Just can't wait till he dies. Others of them, they're looking at the criminal on the right and what they did to them. And they're so happy. They're so joyful. They're like, yes, finally, he's getting his punishment. And then others are looking at Jesus, and they're just enjoying the show. And this one criminal, still in his last moments, is trying to take care take uh, advantage of Jesus. And then the other criminal turns, and the other criminal says this. He rebuked the other criminal, and he says, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, you, you, are, you are punished justly, for, for, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. This other criminal on the other side of Jesus he says, would you knock it off? Would you stop? Quit trying to take advantage of Jesus. Man, we are getting what we deserve. We belong up here. We did something wrong. We are on the naughty list and we hurt people. We took advantage of people. We killed. We stole. We were greedy. You and I deserve this. And we need to accept that. But this man, Jesus, he does not deserve this. This should not be happening to him. What's so interesting is this man has fully accepted his fate. This man has looked back on his life and his last moments as he also hangs there on that cross as he bleeds out. He looks back on his life and he understands and he recognizes, I did so many things wrong and I deserve every single bit of this punishment. I got myself into this mess, and this, this is justice. This is fair. I should have to go through this pain, but Jesus, he shouldn't. Jesus, he shouldn't have to. Man, you ever been there? You ever felt like that? You ever had that kind of guilt on your chest where you know you did something wrong? where you knew that you could have maybe done something better, where you knew that you probably could have been a bit wiser, where you could have been a bit stronger, where you could have been in more control of your emotions, where you could have chosen better words. You knew that what you did was wrong, and that, that gave you guilt. Sometimes we get that, and, and just like the criminal, it's, it's just. It's okay to feel guilt. Guilt is not a bad thing. Even though in our culture, we, we try to, to try to put it off or we try to act like you know, nobody should ever feel guilty, but guilt is a good thing. If nothing else, it's, it's a journey through our own hearts to discover something about ourselves. But sometimes we feel guilty and it's just and sometimes it's not. But we've all been there. We've all gone through that journey inside of ourselves. I remember whenever we... we we had kids, Kate and I, you know, our, our kids are uh, six and a half and Braden's turning four on Wednesday. And I remember the guilt that my wife felt when she had to go back to work. I mean, we were just, we've always been in a situation where it's like both of us have to work, you know. 
And so whenever she had to go back to work, I remember the guilt that she had. When she had to take our babies to daycare and put them in, in, in the trust and in the hands of somebody else, I remember she'd feel so guilty. And I remember, especially early on, when, you know, when you're a new parent and you're going through that journey, you just feel like, you know, well, man, what if, they, what if they forget about me? Or what if they blame me? Or what if, you know, maybe I should be there? And so it was just so hard for her. She, she felt this internal guilt, like maybe I'm doing something wrong. I know I've felt that many times in my life. I, I remember a couple years ago, we had our, our marriage retreat here at the church. And there was a couple that uh, I did CrossFit with who wanted to come to the retreat. And so they signed up for the marriage retreat, and they were coming. And then last minute, they said, hey, we can't make it. And so the next week, I saw them at CrossFit, and they said, hey, uh, man, uh, we couldn't make it, but we'd really like the materials. We heard that you guys did an assessment and all this stuff. We would love to have the materials. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll get them to you. And I'll be honest with you, I drug my feet. You know, it was after an event, I was tired, and I was like, yeah, 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 I'll get them to you. And so a couple weeks went by, and I kind of drugged my feet, and then finally I got the materials all together, and I, I went to give it to them, and they said, well, actually, we don't need them now, we're going through a divorce. And oh, man, that hurt my heart. In that moment, I was like, man, I drugged my feet. It took me a couple weeks to get them that material. Maybe if I had gotten that material to them quicker, Maybe they, wouldn't have, maybe they wouldn't be going through a divorce. Maybe this is my fault. Maybe if I would have you know, tried a little harder or done things a little faster, maybe they would have been worth saving. But now I'll never know. Maybe this is, this is my fault. And I felt this internal guilt for that experience. We've all been there. We've all felt it. We've all thought, man, if I had a time machine and I could go back, if I could go back to that conversation, if I could go back to that job, if I could go back to that moment right before they died, if I, could, if I could go back before she said she wanted a divorce, if I could go back, oh man, the things, the things I could do, things I was said differently. We all sometimes feel that internal guilt inside of us. And a lot of times, just like this prisoner, we go, you know what? This punishment that I'm going through is just. This season, this darkness that I'm going through, it's probably my fault. I probably got myself there. I deserve all this, and we just, we, just let it, we just let it take on. And we've all felt that way. And this apostle, or this prisoner, he felt that way. And so he just says, bring it on, whatever. And what's so amazing is in this moment, he's saying all this, and he's confessing all this, and yet there's nothing he can do. I mean, you think about it, he's, he's in his last moments. He's bleeding out on that cross. And he's in this unique situation where he can't do anything. I mean, you think about all the things that he can't do. I mean, he couldn't turn over a new leaf. He couldn't earn his good grace with God. He couldn't walk the straight and narrow. He couldn't perform good works. He couldn't pay back the people he took from. He's, he's at the end. And he has no more time. He can't do anything to make up for, the, for what he's done. He has no time to do a sacrifice. He has no time for a conversation. He has no time to apologize. He has no time to do anything good. Nothing that could get him back in anyone else's good graces. And so he just says, bring it on. I deserve this. Let it be done. Put a fork in me. And then something amazing happened. Something that's so easy to skip over but something that Mary witnessed and saw with her very own eyes. And it was so important that when Luke heard Mary say this, 
he thought this has to be written down because this was not just an average conversation. This was so important to anybody who is going to make the decision to follow Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus turns to the man on his left and he says to him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Very simple. One sentence. But in that one sentence, what just happened is that Jesus turns to a criminal who rightfully belongs there and knows it and says to him, here's a gift of grace. You will be with me in heaven. Wait, wait, wait a minute, though. I didn't, I didn't go make things right. I, I didn't ask for anyone's forgiveness. I, I, couldn't, I can't go pay back that debt. I don't have time for a sacrifice. Wait a minute. I, I, need, to, I need some time. Let me, let me get back in your good graces, God. Let me go back and try to make up for what I've done. And Jesus goes, you don't understand. Nobody really understands. You can't. You can't. You can't go back in time. And you can't take back those words. And you can't do anything that's going to make up for the things that you've done. What you have done is awful, and you know it. It does deserve death. It does deserve crucifixion. And that's exactly why I'm here, to take your place on this cross, to take the punishment that you deserve and to put it on myself. See, in that moment, what they understood and what every Israelite learned, what they got so wrong about the Christ story was this. Jesus was saying to them, I didn't come to give you what you deserve. I came to die for what you deserve. I came to take on your punishment. I came to take on your debt. I came to take your place. And I'm going to take the place for what you do rightfully deserve so that you don't have to. See, I am giving you the gift of grace. And what everybody understood, what was so shocking to everyone in that moment, is how that could possibly be. How somebody could step in for somebody so selflessly and take on their punishment, take on their place on the cross. Because it, they, the idea back then was you get what you deserve, and it was an eye for an eye, and Jesus was saying, no longer is it going to be that way. I am not coming to give you what you deserve. There is no naughty, and there is no nice list. There is only one list. You are a child of God, and I will never turn my back on you, and I will never forsake you, and I will never leave you, and I have died for all of your sins. I have taken it upon myself, and I am doing that for you. David, he understood this. He experienced this in his close relationship with God. He wrote a psalm, and he says this in it. He says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us who fear him. And he goes on, and he says next, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus is saying, you don't need a time machine because I've already gone and I've wiped it off the books. You don't need to go back and make up for anything because as far as I'm concerned, it's paid for and it's done. You can go on. This is my gift of grace to you. That's how much God loves you. 
That's the true gift that Jesus came to give us. Not just a new life, not just a new lease, but a whole opportunity to be forgiven and to set things right and to be done. He gave us grace. And the thing is, we have to understand with that gift, we have to do something with it. The first thing we have to do and the first thing that we have to understand is we have to, we have to give grace to others. We have to give others grace. Jesus, he, he gave us this new covenant. He gave us this new command. He goes, yeah, that, those 613 Jewish laws, that whole thing. Yeah, here's the thing. I'm going to condense it real, real easily, and it's going to be very simple, but it's going to be so, so difficult because it's going to require so much sacrifice and so much selflessness. But here's the thing. I want you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you, period. That's it. That's the new command I give you. Can you do that? And everybody always hears that and looks at that and goes, yeah, 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 yeah. But then we get into a year like 2020. Then we get into an election like 2020. Then we get into a health pandemic like 2020. And everybody goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Okay, well then, here's, here's, here's the situation. Here's the mess. What are you going to do with each other now? You know, 2020 is probably going to be the year that God might review with some of us when we get into heaven. And going, you know that thing that happened in the world? I wasn't behind it, but it was a good moment. And it was a little bit of a test about how well you guys can show grace to one another. And he'll probably bring up some of the things we posted and we commented and we talked about and we did. We have to give the same grace to others that Jesus showed us. It's unfair, it's unright to accept grace from God and go, thank you, God, I'm forgiven. Thank you, God. Thank you for taking my place. Well, I don't have to make a sacrifice anymore. I don't have to give anything up. I don't have to lay anything on the altar because you did it all for me. Well, thank you, God. And then to go out and to look at somebody else and go, nope, but not you. Not giving you grace. Because you're a Republican, because you're a Democrat, because you wear a mask, because you don't wear a mask, because you did this. No, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you grace. You don't deserve it because of what you've done. Man, that's going to be a hard conversation to, God with, to have with God one day. We have to show each other grace, the same grace that Jesus has shared with us. We're called to share with one another. Jesus even said to his apostles later on, after he's crucified and put to death and he's raised again three days later, he says, you must love each other because here's the one most important concept of Christianity and following me is that people will know you belong to me by how you behave, no, by how you go to church, no, but by how you love one another. That will be the shining light. That will be the key. How you love one another is how people will know you are mine. So we must show one another grace. But here's one of the most important concepts that we don't always, this is probably the one we have the hardest time with, and that's this. You need to give yourself grace. A lot of times, we can forgive other people. But there are a lot of times where we have the hardest time forgiving ourselves. There's a 
Keanu Reeves quote that I really like, I've always remembered, it's from the movie Hardball, which is really old now. But he says this, he says, you want to beat me up? No one can beat me up better than I can. In that movie, Keanu Reeves is just a broken individual, and he owes all these people money, and all these people are coming after him. He goes, look, you think you can beat me up? I can beat myself up even better. And he throws his head through the windshield of a car. He's that tortured. He's that broken. And he, he accepts that so, so much that he believes any punishment that comes his way he deserves. And you and I, we can do the exact same thing. We can beat ourselves up really bad. And for a lot of us, including myself, no one can make us feel as guilty or as pathetic or as weak as we do. For a lot of us, we are our own worst enemy. For a lot of us, we don't need anybody to tell us the ugly side of ourselves. We know it. We see it. We recognize it in the mirror every day. And a lot of us walk around with so much baggage, so many demons, to the point that we think that we don't even deserve to be loved. But what we have to understand and what we have to take away from the Christmas story that doesn't not just include the birth narrative, but his death and resurrection as well, is that this, even on your worst day, God calls you son or daughter. Amen? Even on your worst day, even when you're right next to him on the cross and you're going, I deserve every single bit of it. I deserve to be single. I deserve to be sick. I deserve to be alone. I deserve to be called these things. I deserve to be without a job. I deserve all of this. Just bring it on. I know how ugly I am. I know how wrong I am. I know every single bit of this. Man, bring it on. Jesus looks at you right next to you and saying, you don't need to tell yourself that. Because I don't call you that. And I don't say that about you. Because when I look at you, I see my son or my daughter. Because I have taken your place on the cross. So you don't need to beat yourself up anymore. I took the beating for you. What you need to understand is you, I have not come to give you what you deserve. I have came to come to die for what you deserve. And now you will join me in paradise. We all have to accept that. And give that gift to ourself. God never expected you to be perfect. He knew when he gave the 613 laws, the old covenant commands, that it was temporary. He knew that no one would be able to measure up. He knew no one was ever going to be perfect because it was never about being perfect. It was about having a relationship with him. And that's what he came to give. And that's what he's offering to us today. That is the Christmas story. That Jesus came into this world to give us grace and truth. And the truth is, is that Jesus died for your sins. And you are forgiven. And your debts have been paid. And the grace part is, is that all he's asking you to do with it is give grace to others. Please, for the love of God, give grace to yourselves. To forgive yourself. To not beat yourself up. To understand that you have messed up. But that's okay. It's not about being perfect. You are still a child of God.
That can be hard to accept. And that can be difficult. But maybe that's what you need this year. Maybe in the midst of everything going on and everything you're trying to do, how hard you're trying to parent in the midst of everything going on right now, how hard of a, you know, you're trying to be a spouse, how hard you are trying to be a teacher, trying to be an officer, trying to be a business owner, trying to be you know, just a, a functioning adult. And you're thinking, I'm failing so miserably. I am trying so hard. I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. And I wish, we could, I wish I could go back and I would have done this so differently. In the midst of all of that that you're feeling, remember we said last week, you are free to feel your feelings. It's okay to feel that. And that guilt that you have, that's okay. There are some things we need to be guilty about. But that's not the seat you're supposed to ride on permanently on the bus. Allow God to show you some grace. And would you please show some grace to yourself? That's all God is asking you to do. There's a song that the band is going to sing. I'm going to let them come up here and we're going to sing it together. But I really love the lyrics and I wanted to, to read some of these to you. It's called Run to the Father. You might have heard it uh, on the radio. But, but in the... In the song, Corey says, I run to the Father. I fall into grace. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Here's the thing I want you to know. Is that your Father in heaven is calling you today to run to his, into his arms. And you know what? It's not a one-time thing. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's not a Christmas and Easter thing. It is something we have to do again and again and again and again. But right now, if you, in your heart, are feeling bitter, bitterness and rage and anger towards somebody else, you got to know I, I get it. I understand. Whoever hurt you, whoever did you wrong, I'm sure the people who were standing there watching this crucifixion happen as Jesus turns to this awful person and says, you're forgiven. You're going to be with me in paradise. Somebody may shout it out. That's bull. You don't know what he did to me. He did something wrong. He did something ugly. And you know what Jesus would have shouted out and what he would say to us today? You all have. Because here's the reality. Every single one of us are on the naughty list. There's not a single one of us that are on the nice. But Jesus took it and he tore it up and he said there is no longer a list. So forgive yourselves and forgive others and show one another grace. And that's what we have to do today. For Jesus to be our friend, for Jesus to be our surgeon, and to fall into his grace. So as the band kind of takes their spots, I just want to pray with you real quick. Would you bow your heads with me, whether you're watching online or you're, you're here in person today? Father God, today I recognize that I have sinned. And that in your eyes, sin is sin. 
There are no levels of it. There is no nice list. There is no naughty list. I have failed and I have fallen short just like everyone else has. But Father God, I recognize that your son came to share with the world grace and truth. I believe what John says when John says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. God, I'm so thankful today that as I hang on my cross, without any time to walk the straight and narrow, without any opportunity to go back in time and say I'm sorry, to redo anything, to make up for any lost time, that I don't have to. That you have looked at me in the eyes and you have said, today you will join me in paradise. Today, I share my grace with you. You are forgiven and your debt is paid. And I love you and I will take your punishment for you. You don't need to punish yourself and you don't need to worry about punishing others. God, would we take that message today? Would we take that truth today? And would we forgive others? Would we show one another grace? But God, would we also, would we give grace to ourselves today? God, will you help me to forgive myself? Would you help me to not beat myself up any longer? Would you do that? Father, today, right now, this is me running into your arms. This is me coming to you, the Father. Would you help me? Would you embrace me? Would I feel your love today? In your name we pray, amen. If you would like to support Anchored Hope, you can make a donation at anchoredhope.church forward slash give. To connect with someone from Anchored Hope, please go to anchoredhope.church forward slash hi. Thank you for listening and God bless.